Welcome to The Grow Show with me as your host, Joe Camerato. I am an entrepreneur who created my company, National Business Capital, from literally $0 out of my spare bedroom to over $2 billion in business loans secured for entrepreneurs nationwide. Since 2007, I have seen just about every type of business. I provide money and help entrepreneurs access capital to scale fast, but I also know that it's possible for you as you scale to replace yourself to build systems, processes, and great teams of people that can live on without you so you can actually enjoy your life and your company can still grow. I will not only tell you the peaks and valleys of my story, but I will also bring on world-class entrepreneurs to tell their stories and share their lessons on their growth journeys. Welcome to The Grow Show. All right. Hello, everyone. Uh, Welcome to The Grow Show. And uh, excited to have on today uh, Michelle Mace uh, Kern. Um, She's got an awesome story that I'm excited to talk about today and um, has had a really wild uh, life and some really cool experiences. Um, Michelle is well known um, as a keynote speaker, uh, but most importantly, as a U.S. Air Force combat veteran and former F-16 fighter pilot and lead solo for the USAF Thunderbirds, uh, which is just so cool. And thank you for your service, Michelle. Um, She's also founder of Upside Down Dreams, where she provides inspiration to organizations through uh, storytelling and real world experiences. And she's hired as a keynote speaker and does workshops there. Um, Mace also excels in connecting with audiences through various formats, including webinars, informant and fireside chats, panel experiences, meet and greets, Um, And she brings a diverse range of skills to every single engagement. She's also the author of a best-selling children's book titled Upside Down Dreams, a storybook written for kids with big dreams looking for real-world insights. All right. Well, thank you and welcome to the show. Uh, Should I call you Michelle or Mace? Uh, Thanks for having me. I think people always want me to tell them to call me one specific thing, but it's honestly 50-50. So it's dealer's choice, whichever you prefer. If you want to lean into call signs uh, and feel like you're on top gun for the next 45 minutes, you can go with Mace or Michelle's fine as well. I'm going to roll with Mace as long as you call me Mavericks. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. All right, let's do it. Well, good stuff. Well, well, thanks for having, you know, coming on the show and, and, um, you know, and you got to check out, you know, uh, looking, you know, uh, look up Michelle. Um, our story, your story is really incredible, and the footage, especially the one on your homepage, just with you and you know, the fighter planes and stuff, is really wild. And I'm just curious, like, w- was what, like, did something spark? Like, had what made you want to go into the Air Force and then, you know, become a, a fighter pilot? It's, I think, not something that everyone does and then especially you know women you know as well so just really curious yeah so i think i took a little bit of an unexpected path to get there especially since i end up with the thunderbirds i would get asked all the time if i had seen air shows as a kid or i saw the thunderbirds fly and had that kind of inspiration moment as a five-year-old where i'm like i'm gonna go be a fighter pilot someday um that was definitely not the case for me i grew up in a small town in northern wisconsin not a military family and non-aviation family. Wow. Um, so I just didn't have exposure to that, which I think a lot of people can relate to, right? Like it's it's this thing you know exists, but when it's not part of your day-to-day life and you're not exposed to it as a kid, you have a hard time making the leap to setting that as like the thing you want to be when you grow up. Um, but as I got through high school, I did need a way to pay for college. And that is honestly the first thing that drew me to the military. My dad recommended checking out Air Force ROTC. 
And I was a little resistant at first because I wanted to be a normal college student. But the more <laughs> I looked into it, um, I knew I didn't want to stay in my small town. I wanted to get out of there. I wanted to explore the world. I was driven and adventurous. And so the more research I did, the more it seemed like a good fit. And I ended up applying for a scholarship, getting one, going off to college um, in St. Paul, Minnesota. But the thing is, at that point, I didn't even want to be a pilot. I had my big dream was to be an FBI agent. So, oh, wow. Yeah, right. <laughs> unexpected. I just really wanted to kick down doors, apparently. Um, <laughs> Which is not really what FBI agents do. You shot them down. (laughs) Right. I had this glamorized idea of, you know, law enforcement and and all the cool things that special agents do. And so I went to college as a criminal justice major and I was being, it was being paid for by the Air Force. So my plan was to do four years on active duty to pay back the scholarship, probably as a special investigation since that would align with what I wanted to do, get out and then go to the FBI. As a 17-year-old, I had, you know, this grand plan. Um, But about halfway through college, we got to visit an Air Force base. And I had seen jets fly from a distance before, but we got to stand on the ramp and watch them take off. And that was the first time I had been, like, up close to a fighter aircraft, especially taking off in full afterburner. And it was at dusk. It was two F-15s. This was down in Florida. And I just remember the lighting and the jet noise vibrating my whole body and seeing the orange flame out the back and being like, holy crap, how do I go do that? (laughs) It was just so exciting. It was a visceral reaction and I paid attention to it. And that was kind of the first time that I was like, okay, maybe I want to compete for a pilot slot at the end of this four year college degree at the end of ROTC. I'm going to the air force anyway. Why not throw my name in the hat? And from there I was off to the races. There's a lot that has to happen from, deciding you want to be a fighter pilot to actually becoming one. Um, So that's a whole nother story, but that was how the seed got planted for me initially. Wow. And then, and then what happened, you know, how did you wind up joining the Thunderbirds? Cause that, that's a whole nother, you know, amazing and cool experience. Yeah. So a lot happened between initially becoming an F-16 pilot, which was my first choice of aircraft. Um, We fill out this thing called a dream sheet at the end of pilot training where we list our preferences and, the Air Force kind of takes it into consideration, but kind of just considers what they need and what the open cockpits are. And it ended up aligning. I got F-16s, went off to training, eventually went to my first combat squadron. But I flew the F-16 for about seven or eight years before I even applied to the Thunderbirds. And the Thunderbirds was one of these things that gets occasionally talked about in combat squadrons and jokes are made stuff like loops to music. Oh, it doesn't look that hard. Whatever. Okay. Once I got there, I discovered it's actually pretty dang hard to fly the, those <laughs> formations and those maneuvers. Um, but every time it came up in a conversation, it was one of those things that I was intrigued by, but it was also one of those things that I never told anyone I wanted to do because I had a lot of self doubt around whether or not I was actually good enough to be part of that team. Because wow. it's it's high pressure, right? It's high stakes yeah. flying. It's very public facing. So you're under the public scrutiny. You're also being judged by your peers to some extent. So there's a lot of pressures in that role. And so the vast majority of my career, it was kind of that thing that popped up in the back of my mind that I was like, that would be cool. But and the but I was kind of controlled the narrative. Yeah. <laughs> um And I mean, talking about the grow show, there was a lot of personal growth that happened for me between initially becoming an F-16 pilot 
and the day I decided to apply for the Thunderbirds, I went from being very much controlled by imposter syndrome, by self-doubt, by this feeling of not really belonging in the culture and trying to figure out how to navigate that and how to prove myself and not show weakness and you know put on this facade of type A bravado, confident fighter pilot, the cliches that everyone knows from Hollywood. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Not my personality, and so I struggled with that for a long time. Um, but I finally kind of come into my own, got a lot more confidence, felt like I was showing up a lot more authentically, which kind of led to that confidence. And that was, you know, at the end of my second assignment. So I did three years in a combat squadron in Japan, another three years in a combat squadron in Texas, and right at the very end of that assignment is when I ended up applying for the Thunderbirds. Wow, and what like because. I think we we all have it. We all have imposter syndrome, you know, and, and okay. everyone I think has it at different levels. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs have it. And I think as you get to bigger levels and you grow within whatever you're doing, sometimes it it, it can come out of nowhere and hit you, or or it just gets worse. Um, how did you you know how did you fight through that? Like how did you push through that imposter syndrome to give yourself you know the confidence and really own what you were doing? Not very well at first. Uh, <laughs> it took me a long time. Uh, my first assignment in Japan, I definitely self-sabotaged a lot. Like there were opportunities that would come up that I knew I should go after. It's that thing where you're like, oh, if I want to get further in my career, if I want to learn more, become more experienced, I should go lead this project or I should go do this mission planning or whatever it is that they were looking for someone to take charge of. But my immediate reaction after that was, oh my gosh, please don't pick me because I don't want to fail in front of everyone. I don't know exactly how that works. Like I don't have the skills to do that. You start to doubt yourself. And in hindsight, I realized now that I was pretty average for being a brand new pilot. It's a hard career and everyone struggles at first. There's just so much to learn. And a lot of proficiency just comes through repetition. Yeah. Um, I didn't have that wisdom or that perspective as a like 25 year old. I was pretty convinced that I kind of snuck in and was in way over my head and that the uh, other guys next to me who were similar experience level, like they were doing great. Like I thought they were learning everything on pace. They knew what they were doing. Meanwhile, I'm like, I shouldn't be here. I'm failing every day. Um, and so I kind of hit a low point coming out of that assignment in Japan I went through some stuff in my personal life while I was there as well. I went, I got divorced while I was living overseas, you know, on the other side of the planet from my support system. Um, I was one of two women in my squadron. So there's some additional dynamics that go into that where, Boy. you know, that initial normal level of doubt and struggle and anxiety we have around learning something new that's challenging can get rapidly evolved into crippling imposter syndrome when you're in an environment where you don't really feel like you belong and you constantly have to audit how you show up and every word that you say or every action that you take you're thinking about it through the lens of how will this be portrayed by everyone around me like that's pretty exhausting um, and so that's where I found myself but I eventually got to the point where I was like okay this is not sustainable I owe the Air Force a 10-year contract I cannot show up like this every day, like something's got to give. And I got to that kind of cliche point where I realized that no one else was going to do it for me. Like no one was coming to save me. Yeah. Um, I was like, I have to be willing 
to make some bold choices and put myself out there a little bit and do things that feel scary and uncomfortable if I want to grow and find fulfillment in what I'm doing. In this big dream I had that I wanted so bad and then I got there and now I'm hating it. And some of that was the institution around me, but some of that was myself. And so I started to make like these small, bold decisions where I would have that that reaction where I would get excited about something. I was like, ooh, this is a cool opportunity. And then I immediately would have that little voice of anxiety or doubt or discomfort that would follow it. I recognized when that was happening and I would purposely choose to go do it when it felt uncomfortable. And that was hard at first. And the yeah. things I was doing that I say were bold probably weren't that big a deal to some people. But over time, that muscle gets stronger and your tolerance for what feels uncomfortable grows. And I would say over about 18 months, I went from very much feeling like I was struggling on all fronts to feeling like I was thriving. And it was after that 18 months where I kind of found the courage to end up applying for the Thunderbirds. And I did a whole bunch of other stuff professionally as well. I got to deploy. I became an instructor. I had to spend a summer in Poland um, instructing there and their F-16s with their pilots. It's a lot of cool opportunities that I could have very well gotten in my own way for if I had continued to operate like I was. But it was a conscious decision to create that perspective and then choose to do the thing that felt more uncomfortable because I knew it was worth it in the end. It's amazing. You know, you said a key word before, um, self-sabotage, and it's real. And I think a lot of people don't understand it, but you, you, your mind, like you automatically go to self-sabotage because then you get to prove yourself right. You self-sabotage really? like the growth and then you go, oh, see, I, I knew I couldn't do it. So yeah. you self-sabotage because then it gets you to say, okay, yeah, I was right. So it, it really is interesting. And there's really something too, something else that you said of just like that muscle memory of fighting through fear and pushing through it. Like when you just say yes and you just go, and then you get in the habit of that, of other big things present themselves in life. Um, it's really powerful. I, I went through a whole period of just like doing things that I didn't want to do or was afraid of doing completely outside of work and business, like just yep. random stuff. And, 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 um, and you, you get like your, your mindset into that mode of like, F that I can do it. Um, and then you just wind up going and you fight through the other things. And I think some of those bigger fears that you overcome, it makes the smaller ones that normally maybe would have prevented you from doing something. It makes it a lot easier to power through it. There's just, there's, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of like really good stuff in what you said. Yeah. And it was the same for me. I started making what felt like bold decisions, really my personal life before I had the courage to do it on the professional side. And it was things like trying new hobbies or I'm kind of naturally introverted and I get a little bit of social anxiety. And so I'd moved to this new base in Texas and I'm in a new city. I'm in Fort Worth now. I don't know anyone besides the people I'm working with. So it was forcing myself to go do things where I would meet new people, like little yeah. things like that. It doesn't have to be this monumental. It doesn't have to be flying for the Thunderbirds, right? It can be yeah. a small thing. And like you said, those it's really creating that perspective for yourself so you can make a conscious choice so you can disrupt these comfortable habit patterns that you've developed that feel familiar because your brain's always going to 
lean towards that. It's like a survival mechanism we have built in, right? The things that are comfortable, the things that feel familiar, even if they don't really serve us in the end, are we're wired for survival, not for growth and thriving. And yep. so you have to create that perspective and recognize it so you can make a conscious choice to choose something different. But then you just have to make really, really small, attainable daily choices again and again. And what you said, it becomes a habit. And eventually those smaller things you don't think about anymore. And with some repetition, eventually it just becomes who you are. And now yeah. you are the thing, or you, you are the person that's confident. You are the person that goes and does the adventurous thing that takes those calculated risks. And you don't have to work so hard and think so hard about every little choice. Uh, really good stuff. So with, without breaking your top secret clearance, what was, uh, what was one of like your scariest moments in, um, you know, in, in, in flying, you know, fighter jets? So I have, I have a couple, it was in a combat squadron. I never had anything go catastrophically wrong with an airplane, um, mechanically, which I feel very grateful for. Um, so I, you know, minor yeah. things would go wrong. You declare an emergency, you land. It was no big deal. Um, I had, you know, deploying for the first time is stressful. I don't know if scary is the right word. You just definitely feel the level of responsibility that you're carrying when you're, you know, dropping things off your aircraft and there's friendly troops on the ground. There's allies, there's Americans. Like you realize if things go wrong, how serious yeah. that is. So I think yeah. there's the increased heart rate, the little bit of anxiety that comes with that. Um, I had a couple of moments on the Thunderbirds, honestly, that really stick out in my mind just because you're operating in such a high repercussion environment where, you know, you might do similar maneuvers in when I refer to like a combat squadron, like a gray F-16, a gray painted F-16, but you're doing it at 10,000 feet up in the air and you don't have another aircraft remotely close to you. Um, when you're flying with the Thunderbirds, those jets are getting as close as 18 inches apart. Wow. And as close as 100 feet above the ground. So yeah. deviations that you could make before that were no big deal can be huge in that environment, right? They can lead to catastrophe. So I had one flight in Colombia, um, the country of Colombia. We were flying an air show there and I hit a, a bird and it was a vulture. So oh, wow. Big this bird. isn't, yeah. yeah, this isn't a sparrow. Um, <laughs> it's, it put two big holes in the side of the airplane. I, you know, I was traveling, I, th I think over 400 miles an hour, about 2000 feet above the ground. So I was a little bit higher, but I saw just a flash of black. I knew what it was, but I felt it hit the jet, um, which I'd hit other birds before, but usually you would never feel them. You would just maybe see them. You're like, Ooh, I think I might've hit that. Or they would find like a mark from it afterwards when you landed and you wouldn't even know that you did it airborne. And it wouldn't cause any damage. This one, I definitely saw it, felt it. I felt the shutter of the jet under my feet when it impacted. Um, and it was just kind of a surreal moment. Like, oh, that was a bird. And I 100% hit it. And I hit it hard. This wasn't a glancing blow. Um, I feel like some people think I blow that proportion or that story out of proportion a little bit because I did land fine with no issues. Yep. But I definitely went through the surreal moment of, okay, like check the engine instruments. Did that go down my intake for the listeners that don't know the F-16 only has one engine. So we oh, rely, wow. yeah, we rely heavily on that one. Um, our backup is important. 
<laughs> we have an ejection seat, right? Like that's that's the backup. There are certain situations where you might have the energy on the aircraft to glide and land. Um, and I was close to an airfield, so there was possibility that that could have happened, um, but it would have been close. But I was, you know, the engine was okay. I ended up landing. I think where it felt more serious is actually after I had landed and I saw the damage to the outside of the aircraft. I had never seen a bird punch two fist-sized holes just through the metal on wow. the outside of an airplane. And it really makes you realize this was a large bird, right? A vulture, probably five to six foot wingspan, but they aren't that that heavy, right? Because their bones are yeah. hollow. They're big, but it's not, they're not, it's not like an ostrich or something like that. Right. It's <laughs> not like I'm hitting a rock. Like it's, yeah. it's not yeah. as solid, but when you realize how fast you're going and like the amount of energy that that impact has, that yeah. it just punched two, two holes straight through the side of the aircraft. And then when we really looked at it, um, I had the intake for the F-16 sits under the cockpit. So it's this giant mouth that sucks in air into the engine. And part of the bird had actually gone in, in there because we found feathers in the engine later. And our really great maintenance team had to actually swap out the engine and put a new one in, oh, um, wow. which is a, a big job, but they're extremely good at it and extremely fast at it. Uh, but the fact that probably a wing hit and sent feathers down the intake and then the body cartwheeled along the side of the aircraft and put those huge holes in it. I mean, six inches further to the one side and that whole bird would have gone straight into the engine. And so you just start to think about what if, you know, like would I have had the, the quick decision-making ability and the skills to perfectly manage the energy to land the airplane with no engine. I don't know, maybe, uh, yeah. What would yeah. it have been like to eject over the forest in Colombia of all places? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. So I definitely had the kind of, oh shit moment when that happened. Yeah. Um, and then one other one, I'll try to keep this story short. Uh, I had a near miss on the Thunderbirds. Um, if anyone's seen the team fly the solos, which is the position I flew in, we do the head on passes. It's like a high speed game of chicken. Yeah. yeah. And from the crowd, it looks like the jets pass through each other, um, but we're actually offset. It's just an optic. So the lead solo, which is the position I was flying at the time, um, is perfectly on the show line, which at a lot of air shows is just the runway that you're flying over. I'm on my target altitude. I'm right on the show line. The opposing solo, they're actually flying a little bit further away from the crowd and a little bit higher so that when your person standing on the ground is looking up at an angle, you know, they're looking up 150 feet. Yeah, it looks feet. like it's much it, closer than what it right. really is. Think of it as Got a triangle. It. So it looks yeah. like we're superimposed over each other. That offset to get what we call a good hit, which is what we call it when it looks like the two jets perfectly pass through each other, is all done visually. There's no instrument that tells our distance from each other. Wow. There's yeah, it's it's literally done by the opposing solo using their eyeballs to judge that distance. And it takes some time to learn what that should look like to kind of get that sight picture, that visual reference. It takes some repetition. And so I was the lead solo training the new opposing solo who's, you know, only been flying with the Thunderbirds for a month or two at this point. He's an experienced fighter pilot, but this is a whole new skill set. And so he's learning that. And like every opposing solo, he keeps being too far away. Because self-preservation tells you, like, <laughs> yes, there's another airplane pointed at me. Um, <laughs> we're each flying about 500 miles an hour. So Jeez. you're pointed nose to nose. Imagine, like, oncoming traffic. 
uh, but you have 1,000 miles an hour of closure towards each other, right? Because you're each going 500. And so things are happening very fast. Um, the F-16 is a small aircraft, so it really looks like a little dot out in front of you when you're staring at it. And you learn the tiny little amount of offset that you need to have so that you don't hit each other. And so I had told him, like, hey, you need to get closer. Like, you're too far away. It's obvious from a spectator's perspective, like, your jet looks tiny compared to mine because you're further away. So he took it too far the other direction, um, which actually was a great learning experience for him because now he knew what too close looked like. <laughs> yeah. um, but on this particular pass, uh, it's called the opposing inverted. And so I was actually upside down. Um, so I'm inverted 150 feet off the ground. And we always have our outs, our side that we own that we can safely move to to get away from each other. And that's used in case like we had a radio failure or the visibility wasn't very good that day and we lost visual with each other. Um, it's kind of our, our safety. Yep. And I own the side towards the crowd. He owns the side away from the crowd. But we are on a training flight. Um, north of Las Vegas here at our, we fly to Nellis Air Force Base and we're up north of there near Creech Air Force Base. It's just brown desert. There's no crowd out there. There's no references besides our practice show line, which is a bunch of Connex containers lined up. And so I'm upside down. I see his jet approaching mine. And I realize very late in the game, because it's hard to tell, I realize that he's pointed straight at me. He is not offset at all. Oh, and geez. in what I can only imagine is like a second. I go through this decision process of I need to rudder um, just to move the jet sideways towards my side to get some spacing from like, I need to create this offset, even though I don't normally do that. But I realize that I'm not a hundred percent sure what side is my side because oh, a, yeah. I'm upside down, which is disorienting and B there's no visual reference out there because there's no crowd. Everything looks the same. And so then I have the thought, if I rudder to the wrong side, I ensure that we're going to hit each other. And so all in this second or maybe two, I have this whole thought process. And then I decide I'm going to hold the ground. I'm not going to move. I'm going to no flinch. And I'm going to trust him that he's going to recognize what's about to happen. And he's going to move his aircraft because he's upright. So yeah. he knows what side is his side. He's flying upright which makes things a lot more easy to maneuver and he normally is the one that sets that spacing anyway and so i decide all these things in a split second and as he's about to pass on over my jet which is under my feet right because i'm inverted and i yeah i can't see through the bottom of the airplane so i lose sight of him as he passes over me and right last second i see his wings start to roll up um and he Oof. we miss each other and oh, I don't know how close we were, but we were way closer than we should have been. We're way closer than I've ever been in that situation before. Um, there's no way for us to know exactly how close we passed, but it was scary. It was surreal, like temporal distortion um, that you experience if you've been in a car accident is kind of the only thing yeah. I can compare it to. Time slows down. Yeah, slow motion. And then, yeah, exactly. Yep, yeah, I, yeah, you're like, oh God. Yeah. And there's nothing you can do, right? You have all these thoughts. And, but you realize there's nothing you can do. Um, yeah. It was kind of like that. And so I definitely remember all these little details. And I was supposed to make a radio call as the lead solo that uh, triggers me to flip upright and him to flip upside down. Um, I literally just said nothing because I was just like, holy crap, that was so close. That should not have happened. I was just frozen for a second. 
And then I recovered and called the, us to turn our smoke off, to clear the line, all the things. Um, we landed later. We continued that practice. I couldn't even really debrief that airborne. It was just there. We needed to yeah, talk about it on the ground. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and as soon as we landed, he got out of his jet and he was like, I am so sorry. He knew like there was, I did not be, need to be the, the instructor pilot that was like, dude, you screwed up. Like you could have killed us. He was well aware of that. Um, yeah. He's really apologetic. We talked about like what he was seeing, what his decision-making process was, and it never happened again. We never got remotely close to that situation again. Um, and sure. I honestly do think he learned pretty quickly from it because it did visually show him too far the other way. Right. Yeah, so now yeah, he yeah. knew, okay, like, well, that was too close. Let's find somewhere in the middle. Um, that is, that was a hard story to explain because there's a lot of little intricacies of how our opposing passes work and all that. But I think it's a really great example of how little room there is for air in that environment. hundred percent. And what's wild is too, as in these scary moments happened when you were like <laughs> practicing or in an air show versus like in, in combat, you know, like <laughs> It's like, and you go through all everything that you did too, you know, like to have those moments, you know, when it's, you know, you know, practicing for, uh, for an air show is kind of, you know, crazy and are ironic in a very weird way, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's the same. I mean, a little bit less with that, but it's the same feeling I have when someone almost hits me on the interstate, you know, I live in Vegas, <laughs> the drivers here are crazy. I'm sure everyone that lives in a big city, they're like, our drivers here are crazy. Uh, I get so mad at the other person because I'm like, all of the crap I've been through, all of the <laughs> yeah, you get things I've taken done. Out driving you your car, me out with your Toyota Camry. I'm gonna be <laughs> your Prius. The Prius took you out. You know, it's like, oh my god, <laughs> that's funny. Oh man. Well, you. I mean, you went from you know, you went from you know, you know, F-16 uh, fighter pilot to then entrepreneur. You shared some of the scary moments, but. What's scarier, being an entrepreneur or, you know, a, a thunder, you know, Thunderbird or F-15 uh, fighter pilot? I think there's a lot of things I learned from being a fighter pilot that have helped me as an entrepreneur. Um, I would say that in the cockpit, you generally have a lot of moments where you're like, okay, everything's fine. And then there occasionally will be just a terrifying thing that happens. Um, yeah. Reference <laughs> to two like, stories I, I told like you. Sounds like business. <laughs> um, we're... As an entrepreneur, I feel like I've had a lot more like long, long lasting stress <laughs> or anxiety <laughs> where it's just like days or weeks or months, right? Um, in the cockpit, it was a little bit more like spikes. Yeah. But I think one of the things, I mean, moving to do what I'm doing now is is out of the norm for sure. You know, most fighter pilots either stay in for 20 years um, or, and I left at 13 or they get out and fly for the airlines. All the airlines are hiring right now. They pay really well. It's a natural transition. Um, but for me, that sounded, I i don't want to say it's boring, but it didn't sound fulfilling, I guess. It, yeah. it didn't sound like something that would get me excited to go to work. You know, I would still be kind of a number in a huge company. And while flying for the Thunderbirds, I realized that I was in a unique position where I could really impact a lot of people in a really positive way. And there's been nothing in my life that's been more rewarding than seeing that happen firsthand. Um, and that became more fun for me than the flying did pretty quickly. Wow. Especially, amazing. yeah, especially little kids, right? Like you, 
you're walking around like a superhero when you fly for the Thunderbirds in your show suit. They see the jets fly. The show is just like so awe inspiring and in your face Amazing. and loud. Yeah. And yeah, it gets people excited, adults and kids. And then when you get out of that jet and then you go and meet these people and especially for little girls or for women with I was the only female pilot flying on the team at the time. Um, they just had these moments where I could see this light bulb turn on in their eyes where they connected the dots and realized that someone that looked like them had done this thing that seemed like impossible, like on another level. Yeah. And whether they wanted to be a fighter pilot one day or not, I could see that it opened their eyes to what was possible for them in the world. And that yeah. was the coolest thing to do for someone. And it's taken different forms in the corporate space and with adults and both men and women, but I still get to experience that. And so coming from my background, you know, my time with the Thunderbirds helped me find that passion and kind of that purpose for what I'm doing now. But it also has made me willing to take a lot of calculated risks that are kind of outside the norm because I'm kind of like, what's the worst thing that could happen? And yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's very small compared to what the worst thing that could happen in my previous career was. And so it's given me this perspective on risk where I think I can be a little bit more objective with it and kind of step out of that fear that a lot of us get stuck in. Um, and it's allowed me to do some really cool things and I'm having a blast doing it. That's great. That's so awesome. And, and it must be amazing too. I mean, the fulfillment, especially seeing a young girl look at you and go like, wow, like, and see the wheels spinning. I mean, that's, that's pretty, uh, I mean, any young kid and anyone in general, but it just, that it, it's, it's, uh, it's gotta be very fulfilling. That's awesome. Yeah. It's and, so cool. And, and I think, you know, too, like, at least the risks now that you take aren't going to be catastrophic, right? Like, right. you know, and, and, and I think tying that back in and I, I, I think that's helped me get through some of the most challenging times in business was like, Hey, well, I'm not dying and you know, I don't have cancer. I'm all good. Like I can figure this out, you know, and then all those crazy situations in business, those most challenging times when you really push through them and own them, you know, it, one, it just feels amazing getting through it. And then you really, I think realize like what you're you're made of and uh but i think putting it in perspective is is necessary because it is stressful and um you know uh you know navigating through and you know you know creating something on your own and you know doing it all i mean it's not it's not an easy thing and and unexpected like you know things happen that can you know that change the course of business that are out of your control you know 100 I'm sure you had to deal with that from, you know, doing live events and then COVID happens and you're probably on a roll and, and then all of a sudden, you know, everything shuts down. I mean, that's a, it's a real thing that you had to deal with. Yeah. So I was still with the Thunderbirds during COVID. Um, definitely okay. had a, a pivot there though, because all air shows canceled as well. Um, yeah, yeah. So we had to kind of reinvent what we were for, for that amount of time, which was interesting because the team has a lot of history and there's a lot of moving parts. It's a government entity that's funded by taxpayer dollars. And so you get into all of that. Um, but coming out of that and stepping into the speaking world as live events come back um, has been interesting because there definitely is a lot of knowledge that people acquired during the pandemic. Like there's a lot of speakers that have full studios in their homes now, right? Like they're running high production value virtual events. Yeah. Yeah. And I am not tech savvy. Uh, and so trying to figure that out and be able to step into that space. And then 
I think I mentioned it a little bit, but I am more introverted. And as a kid, I was really, really, really shy, like awkwardly shy. It makes me cringe now thinking about it. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I would like didn't want to be called on in class. I was the person that was like hiding in the back off to the side, had my few close friends. And that was it. Like, I don't want to talk to anyone else. And now I'm a keynote speaker, which was probably the most terrifying thing I could have possibly thought of as a child. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, Speaking in public in front of, you know, a thousand plus people. (laughs) Right. And live, like at least on podcasts, you have the ability to edit, right? Uh, No matter how many people view or view or listen to the episode, you have the ability to edit it. Um, You don't have that live. You're dealing with things real time, AV issues, stumbling on your words, forgetting what your next paragraph was, all the things. Uh, But all of that I've been able to do despite it feeling naturally scary for me because of that journey I went through during my time in the Air Force and because of that willingness to put things in perspective and kind of push through what feels uncomfortable. And now I really enjoy it. It was terrifying at first. It took a while. Yeah, Absolutely. And and just becoming an entrepreneur in general is, you know, terrifying. Then speaking in front of people, that's your business. That's a whole that's terrifying for even some of the best. Like, there's great entrepreneurs that are, you know, terrified of speaking in public. Um, so I think, I, but it's amazing because I think what you did in the Air Force, it helped push you through all this fear, which really is really what it takes to be an amazing entrepreneur and continue to yeah. grow to that next level. It's all pushing through the level of fear and the imposter, uh, imposter syndrome. So it's really interesting how it probably correlates, I, I think, really pretty amazing for sure and then there's this discipline part to it as well right like we see the successful entrepreneurs that seem like they're an overnight success and they all of a sudden have all this money um but what people don't see is like the consistent discipline that you have to have and when you work for yourself it's there's no one there to tell you to do things right 100 percent. i like i couldn't agree more um it's it might be one of the best things that you said today. And, and you said a lot of great things. You, I, I say this to my team all the time and to you know other entrepreneurs, like you show me a successful person in anything, in business, in, in, in life, family, relationships, whatever, all roads lead back to discipline. Like you have to be disciplined in, in order to um, accomplish um, anything you know, great. And especially when you're an entrepreneur, um, because no one is watching over you, you know, so, and it's, it's discipline and consistency is key. You know, I, I'm, I'm a 16 year overnight success and, and, right. and all the good shit that I've made happen, you know, it has all become from, you know, being disciplined, staying consistent and, you know, and it's so easy to get off track or, um, you know, you start making some dollars and to start having a big party, you, you know, and, and, uh, and, 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 you know, you can, you know, you, you could take a lot of turns and, and that goes for anyone in life, entrepreneur or not, really? you know, it's like, you can have a lot like, you know, too much fun's not good. You know, you can have too much fun and not do the hard work. And it's easy to, to get involved in a lot of things that you shouldn't, especially, you know, today, there's a lot of, a lot of avenues that you can go down, you know, in life. And I think it's, it's important. Totally. And a lot of those shifts where you start to lose your focus on what your end goal is, they're really tiny. 
And just like the the bold decisions can be small and really add up to a lot of success over time, the opposite can happen as well. Like your habits can start to shift in the tiniest way. And then a year later, you're like, how did I get here? And I think an example yep. that's like very easy for people to understand is, you know, like fitness or nutrition. I, those are always like such good examples, like nutrition, right? You're like, oh, I kind of feel like I've been eating the same. Why have I gained 10 pounds over the last yep. year? And then you're like, oh, wait, I made this one tiny little shift that felt really small, but you add that up and it com compounds over time. And now all of a sudden I'm in a spot I don't want to be in. And the same thing happens with your habit patterns in day-to-day -day life or in business. And that's yep. why a lot of successful people like are really married to their morning routines or to like time blocking or to whatever it is, whatever system they've put in place. Because if you don't have something there, that's kind of the litmus test um, that creates that structure, you can start to shift without even noticing it. And now you're way far off from where you wanted to be. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, it's like, oh, I have a, you know, a glass of wine on the weekends and it's, oh, I have a glass of wine daily. And then it's a half a bottle and then a bottle right. and, and then, you know, and then, you know, next thing you know, you're, uh, you know, full blown. So it, it, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely real. It's important. Um, you know, I guess, you know, like a last question or two, as we wrap up here, um, and I appreciate all, you know, all said today, you know, what, um, like, what, what do you want to grow into? Like what, what's getting you out of bed and what are you excited about and where do you see yourself taking you know, um, you know, this business that you've created now. Yeah, I've been doing this for about a year and a half now, and I am still very much on the wave of initial excitement, even though I've had some highs and lows as speaking is a little bit seasonal. So sometimes there'll be spots where I'm like, my calendar does not have as much stuff as I hope it did. And like, what does that mean? Finances and all the things. Um, what gets me really excited is to continue to develop all the things that I've learned and experienced into something that other people can use. And that started with speaking and that felt pretty natural and not easy, but I kind of knew the path to that. Um, and then writing has been another way to do that. Uh, but to continue to produce content where I don't want to be an influencer, right? Like I don't want to be someone with a huge social media following that just gets a lot of likes and, and that's it. I want to be someone that actually develops thought leadership that people can use and learn from and take those little moments I got to create for people in person when I was in uniform, where it was like a catalyst for them to go chase a big dream. I want to continue to figure out the best way to do that uh, for more people and for adults and like all the things we mentioned here, you know, helping them create those habits, helping them manage that fear, helping them take calculated risks, uh, stopping them from self-sabotaging there's yeah. so many people that do that um and so it's been a learning as i'm going type situation to figure out the best <laughs> format to do that and really to take and put all these things that i like know through my personal experiences into concepts that other people can actually use because there has to be some translation there and it's a work in progress but i'm excited to keep doing that it's great. Well, listen, I think we're all figuring it out as we go, uh, regardless of what anyone tells you. A lot of people like to act like they know it all. It's not reality. And I think if you're a great entrepreneur, you're pushing yourself into new things, into new areas, and uh, and you're figuring out as you go. So 
really, uh, really good stuff. And I would also think too is you um, you put a children's book out in a children's uh, series. So not only are you doing this for adults, but also kids as well, which I think is really important, uh, especially in today's world, uh, making sure the next rounds of generations are, are thinking big. Um, what are the um, what's the name of the uh, the children's book and, and and what's it about? Just uh, so everyone knows. Yeah, so the kids book has been, you know, this side passion project to the the idea started all the way back during my first year with the Thunderbirds. And it took me four years to actually get it published because, again, figuring it out as I was going, the publishing industry is hard to break into. There's a lot to learn there. But the first book is called Upside Down Dreams. Um, it's about this little girl. Lily Padilly is her name because it's fun to say. Um, and she, you know, sees these jets fly over and she has that moment like I did where she's like enamored with them. And she gets so excited about it. Um, and turns out her grandpa had been a Air Force fighter pilot. And so there's kind of this family connection there and mentorship from him. And, you know, she has this big dream all of a sudden that she wants to be a fighter pilot someday. But she pushed, she gets a little bit of pushback from some of her peers, her own self-doubt. Um, and so she struggles with that, um, wondering, you know, what that would look like for her if it's possible. But her grandpa ends up taking her to an air show where she sees the jets fly. And as the jets land and the pilots get out, she sees a pilot that looks like her that has oh, wow. this long braid that swings out from her helmet, just like Lily's braid. And she kind of has that moment where she is empowered to actually believe that she can go do the thing. Um, and so I did not have that experience as a kid, but I got to see that experience from the pilot's perspective again and again. And so it's a, a fictional child and a fictional story, but definitely inspired by my interactions that I got to have um, with kids while I was flying with the Thunderbirds. And then by really seeing how powerful it was for especially girls to just see themselves represented in a field that there's not a lot of us. It's still only 3% of fighter pilots that are women. Yeah. Um, and there's all kinds of research that shows how powerful it is when we see role models that we can relate to on multiple fronts and how much more that can empower us to go do what they're doing. And so that's what inspired the book. But it's the first of a three book series. So I'll be announcing the next one, the title and the theme soon, but that'll be out next June. Same characters are coming back. And it has, it really started off as this thing where I was like, we'll see how it does. Um, but the reception has been amazing. If I ever have a bad day, I'll go read the Amazon reviews because people <laughs> on the internet can be jerks, but people on the internet with writing reviews for a uplifting children's book are the most amazing that there's some of <laughs> those little great. stories they share and the pictures of their kids with the book uh, are, awesome. are just the best. That's great. That's really cool. Well, really good stuff. Well, um, what's uh, as we wrap up here, what is one uh, growth tip that you would leave uh, with, uh, with my audience? Yeah, I did not get into like nitty gritty stuff because I know we're trying to wrap up, but something that you said, and it's something that I kind of have as this, like hit home point at the end of my keynotes that I give is that the key to progress is having the courage to start something when you don't feel ready, but believing yourself enough to know you'll figure it out along the way. And I know we've both said that in different forms, but yeah. we put others on a pedestal, people that are where we want to be. And we can tend to think that they have some like magical thing that's allowed them to do that. Some like internal attribute but it turns out a lot of those attributes are learned over time. They're honed. They can be developed. They're like muscles. And so 
I really, that was one of my goals when I became a speaker is to take this thing that seems superhero-esque and show the person behind it, the struggles, the doubt, all the things, because I want other people to realize the big things that they can go do, that there's no magic sauce to it. It really is just figuring it out as you go. Yeah, really well said. That's great stuff. Well, you're definitely a true inspiration and keep doing uh, what you're doing, uh, Mace. Uh, it was a pleasure to have you on today. And if people want to find um, people want to find out more um, about you, where should they? Uh, how can they find you? I am easy to find on the internet. Uh, I would send people to two big places depending what they what they're looking for. Instagram, I share a lot of cockpit videos. You can see some amazing amazing flying footage there, um, some photos, but also some lessons. Um, and that's at Mace underscore Current. And then on LinkedIn. I write a lot more personal development stuff. So you still get some flying videos, some beautiful photos, but I take a lot of the stuff we talked about today and break it down into questions they can ask themselves or steps they can take or just small digestible things. And that's just my name with my call sign. So Michelle Mason quotes Curran and either platform, if you're interested in learning about speaking, about workshops, about the kids book, you can send me a DM. I check them um, and I reply to them. And so those are the two best places. Good stuff. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on The Grow Show and keep doing what you're doing and keep growing. Thank you. Thanks for having me.